Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. If you're looking for your next new truck, trust Rush Truck Centers, the nation's largest commercial vehicle dealer network. Rush Truck Centers has trucks in stock throughout the country, including heavy, medium, and light-duty work vehicles. Plus, they offer a wide range of programs that help coordinate, monitor, and expedite vehicle service and repairs throughout their qualified service facilities. Check out their online inventory today at RushTruckCenters.com. That's RushTruckCenters.com. Expect more from Rush Truck Centers. Please speak to your Rush Truck Centers representative for further details. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You know, when we were trying to get this podcast off the ground, we had a lot of questions. How do you record an episode? How do I get the show into all the apps people like to listen to? You know, best of all, how do we like to make money off this podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to to podcast right away. In fact, that's what we're doing right now by reading this ad. You know, I like to listen to, to my scary podcast during the week while I'm at work. And man, let me tell you, it just gets me in an extra zone so I can keep working all day long. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. to another episode of high low sports and today before we get started dj we have a another breaking news with antonio brown this saga just doesn't ever want to seem to end what's what do you think going on with this whole thing in case anyone hasn't seen it yet he decided to leave camp again basically after turning in a helmet that was less than 10 years old and it didn't pass the safety examination and he basically got mad at that again i understand being mad i we talked about it but I think even the Raiders are getting a little annoyed with it. Mike Mayock, even today, to the media, said basically something along the lines of he's either in with us or he's not in with us, to summarize. I mean, you can go look up his exact quotes for yourself. But yeah. That's got to kind of bug you a little bit if you're a team. You invest all this money in a guy you think is going to help change your, change your franchise. He's a game-breaker, one of the best in the game at his position. He's basically going to help your quarterback, the star of your franchise, get back on track, more or less, since he's had a rough couple of years. And he's not showing up for... What some people call petty reasons. I mean, I know the, the th- issue with his feet and all that, that, that's an issue, but you can still be at camp, honestly. And that's what I think is kind of the, I think that's where the main frustration was. If he was there rehabbing his feet, but he was at least at camp, it'd be one thing. But considering you're leaving over your helmet, it's a little bit odd to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if, I, if any of you guys watched Hard Knocks, they talked about it on episode two there. You know, with his feet, it's frostbite, basically. 
there's only so much you can do about it. You kind of just have to let it come back on its own and not overwork it. But you can still, but you can still do stuff on it, you know. And uh, they they talked about the dead skin and you know disappearing, but this helmet thing, I just, I personally don't get it. I mean, I'm a guy that changed helmets a bunch, but he does have the support of John Gruden through all things. John Gruden came out and said, you know, he is still our guy until proven otherwise. He's under contract with the Raiders still, so it's not like, you know, all is gonna go to not just. I just want him to figure this out. I, every, the league is better with Antonio Brown in it. I just It's smart by John Gruden, too, because yeah. what do you gain by saying Antonio Brown's pissing us off? Because you know deep in his heart, he's probably thinking, where is this mother fudger we traded for? Yeah. But by supporting him in the media, that's good on all parts, basically, because argument against him is going to do the team no good. It's probably just going to get AB off, basically separate him from the team even more. So really good on John Gruden's part. For all the slack he gets, he does a pretty good job when it comes to organizing things like that, like talking to the media, what he releases, what he doesn't, except with his quarterback, Derek Carr. But everything else he does a pretty decent job of. Yeah, he is definitely a, a really good people person. But, so, back to what was promised for the episode. We are going to continue our top five rankings, and we're going to go today with top five stand-up linebackers, so your non-blitzing linebackers, your field generals, if you will. And we're also going to do our top five choices for tight ends. So I started off last week, and we went offense. DJ, go ahead and start it off with the defense this week. So number one and two, I was basically split on who I wanted to put at number one because they're both fantastic linebackers, probably the two best in the game. This one was a hard choice because more signs pointed the other way, but this guy at his absolute best I think is, one of the, is a generational linebacker we have never seen before, where the other guy is a very, very good, also a Hall of Fame player, but I'm putting Luke Keekley at number one. If you take away concussions, he's probably the best linebacker we've seen in ages. I mean, I can't think of a middle linebacker in recent memory that matches him. Besides, Bobby Wagner is in the league right now, honestly. Yeah. Luke Kuechly, he recognizes the field. He's so good in coverage. He's so good coming downhill on the run. He diagnoses plays. He laughs at offenses when they try to call audibles on him, basically. Yeah. His range is impeccable. He's not exactly a quote-unquote hard hitter. Like, he hits hard, but he doesn't crush people to the same extent like a Patrick Wills would back in the day or Jadavian Clowney that we talked about last week. Basically, his hit stick, quote-unquote, is not a 99. It's probably like a 90 or something along those lines. He's still really cool. It still hurts. That is true. <laughs> He's a very sound tackler. You don't see him getting shook very often, honestly, at least that I can remember. He's good at stripping the ball, too, which is a different knack. And he's got that clutch feel to him. Like, he makes big plays in big moments. Like, the game's tied 14-all towards the end of half. Luke Keekley makes the play on third down. Panthers get the ball back with a chance to score going to the half yeah. to change the momentum of the game. So, I mean, he's, was, he's, he's the tough. reason they had, a, they had a chance against the, the Broncos Honestly, in yeah, that Super Bowl. Like, let's be honest. If, if it wasn't for Keekley, that Carolina team probably gets run out of the building. And when you kind of look at it, like obviously those Panther defenses have been good his entire tenure. Your tenure there since 2012, I believe it was. They've had a lot of rotating parts, like Star Lutalele and Kawan Short as the two big guys taking up space for him. Then you had him and Thomas Davis, the Lance Briggs, Brian Erlacher 2.0 sort of thing. Then you had the Super Bowl run where you had those two, plus Josh Norman is the best corner in the league at the time. Yeah. You had good safeties with him. Like the, the parts keep rotating around him. Like right now it's him, Shaq Thompson is coming along kind of nicely. We'll see how that goes along. And... Not as many standout parts this year. I mean, like, Dante Jackson's a nice young corner. Like, they're really – a lot of – he's kind of like a Tom Brady, quote-unquote, type guy where the parts around him change a lot, but he still keeps on churning. Yeah. And if it wasn't for those concussions, I don't think this would honestly be a debate. Yeah, no, exactly. I think you're 
I think you're spot on with that. I mean, it's it is probably the hardest choice we have on any positional ranking, ranking the top one and two linebackers in the league because they are that way. You know, you just never know. And I think you're right. I think if it wasn't for his concussions, I don't think there's any debate. He might be the greatest linebacker we've ever seen. I mean, maybe a Brian Urlacher type that can kind of compete with him as far as guys that cover, stop the run, do everything. Like, obviously, there's better run-stopping guys in the older days. Like, you look at Mike Singletary, guys like that. They come downhill. They probably come downhill a little better than he does. There's some probably some other guys throughout history like those – I can't remember some of those older linebackers, especially for the Raiders, that would be in coverage with tight ends. Cover Bill receiver. Romanowski? Yeah, guys like that. Like, Bill Romanowski, just, he's like the guy from the replacements, must-kill guy with ball. Yeah, exactly. But Luke's just, he's got the full package, and if it wasn't for his head, he would be undoubtedly the best linebacker in the league. It, it, probably ever, in my opinion. So, I agree with you. Like, he's probably one of the best linebackers you've ever seen. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Um, but for me, I, I don't have a number one. I have the other guy at number one. Um, but again, it's we're we're picking hairs here. And by know. the way, the other guy is Bobby Wagner. In case anyone yeah. missed that, just like it, Bobby Wagner is one A one B. Like it depends how you split it. I went Keekly, he went Wagner. By the sounds of it, exactly. Yeah, I have Bobby Wagner for everything you just said about Luke Keekly. Just Bobby Wagner's got the Super Bowl. He's got the ring, and that's and if it, if it wasn't for him, I don't think the the Seahawks win. Their Super Bowl. I disagree with yeah. that because everybody ate that Super Bowl. Like, Denver yeah. had absolutely nothing. But I get what you're getting at. Like, he was that the one. underrated leader. Like, they talk about the Legion of Boom, but he kept that defense together. And they're still clicking with all yeah. of them gone. So, like, can't really argue with that. The only thing I can say is they probably win that Super Bowl without him just because Denver completely dismantled itself, honestly. Yeah, no, you, you're – the Super Bowl part, yeah, for sure. That lead-up up to the Super Bowl, though, I think that's him – Leading up, you know, that is him leading that defense. That I don't think that play with Sherman and Crabtree in the end zone happens if it's not for Bobby Wagner making big plays to shut down a run game for San Francisco leading up to that. Since you did talk about that game, I will mention one guy who would be on this list if it wasn't for the devastating knee injury he had in that game, Navarro Bowman. And just in that game alone, the play that basically can personify his career is that strip while his knee basically gets ripped in half. Exactly. That dude was the best. That dude was basically Luke Keekley and Bobby Wagner combined, just until that knee injury. He's kind of dropped off, unfortunately. Him and then Patrick Willis, my goodness, what yeah, a duo! That's all I was gonna say. That duo on the other side of the field is, if they were still playing today and they were as healthy as they were that day, they're on this list, guaranteed. Like Patrick, unfortunately, that I think it was a toe injury kind of ended his career a little abruptly. Yeah, it started with ankles and then toes and then you know a little knee nagging thing and then finished. The, I think that that turf toe just. Because he was such an athletic beast, and I don't want to say dependent on his athleticism, but that's what made him different. Is he would see the play and he'd get there faster than any linebacker in the history of the game, arguably, at least ones that know where they're going. There's been some faster guys that just run in circles, but yeah, I think those injuries just caught up to him and diminished his ability to be super special, and that's kind of when he decided to call it quits. That and obviously injuries add up really quickly. Oh yeah, and the same with Navarro Bowman. I mean, they even took Patrick Willis off the field for passing downs. That tells you how good Navarro Bowman was in his heyday. Exactly. So, just right. wanted to mention that, but, like, I can't argue with Bobby. I, I think Bobby's a little bit better in, like, run defense, just, like, coming downhill to kill the ball carrier, where I like Luke Keekley in pass coverage just a little bit more, guarding guys like the Gronkowskis, the Kelseys, those, the tight ends, guys that we're actually going to talk about a little bit later, ironically. Like, oh, yeah. I'd prefer him to match up with these guys in a man-on-man situation. 
where I'd prefer Bobby Widener coming downhill to go find Todd Gurley, for example, more or less. Yeah, like, I, I do think Todd Gurley, uh, sorry, Todd, not Todd, <laughs> Todd Gurley, but they do face off twice a year, Bobby Wagner and Todd Gurley do. So, you know, that is usually Todd Gurley's worst games of his season when he has them, if he has them. But, yeah, I agree. I think Bobby Wagner is a better run defender just because once he gets going downhill, it's a freight train. I mean, you talked about Luke Keekley's hit stick. I think Bobby Wagner's hit stick is a, is probably the 99 hit like stick. Ni- at least not like a 95 or something like that. Plus, yeah. Bobby's own coverage is pretty much unmatched, honestly, too. Yeah. So that's obviously not saying he can't cover. I'm just saying I like Luke Keekley a little bit better sitting back, diagnosing the play, and killing a slight bit better. We're splitting it's, nine yeah. and a halfs and tens at this point. Like, we're... We're talking about a 99 and a 98 overall player, basically, at this point, just exactly. depending on which point you, which which way you deal the point. Exactly. So, all right, so you have you have Keekly at one, Bobby at two. And you have Bobby at one, and I'm guessing Keekly at two. At Keekly at two. So what do you got going for three? Number three, we talked about zone coverage with Bobby Wagner. This is probably the only guy that is better than him when it comes to covering zone and diagnosing play. I got Deion Jones from Atlanta. <laughs> Unfortunately, the injuries have kind of mitigated him the last year or so but going to that Super Bowl run they had a couple years ago everything after that he's a fan he's a he's a a version of Bobby Wagner basically where Bobby Wagner's an A plus he's fast he's strong he hits hard he covers anybody in the league honestly like good luck getting by him or get catching the ball in his zone the catch on him is he's a little short I mean like you could probably throw it over him like maybe the bigger lineman if they get on him can kind of maul over the top of him unless he gets really really good leverage but other than that, I mean, there's nothing really to say about Deion Jones other than he's fantastic. He's basically a notch below these other two, in my opinion. Yeah, and if, I think I, I agree. I laugh because he's also my number three guy. Um, you know, again, just in case, you know, listeners, you don't know this already. We talked about it last week. We make these lists separate, and we don't talk about them until the the recording of the podcast. So this... It just goes to tell you, these three are obviously the top three. Yeah, you're kind of ruining down. it by not putting some random Auburn guy up there. You're kind of ruining our list right now, sir. You know, we'll, just, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it and once we get, you know, running backs maybe. Maybe maybe later on in this list we'll get to it. But, no, I, I agree with Deion Jones. I think he's hurt most, honestly, just by he's on that Atlanta defense. I mean, you look at that Atlanta defense, there is no pass rush, really. Tack McKinley is their pass rush. Brady Jarrett, when he's getting there, Vic Beasley. Like, they have a pass rush, but last year everybody was on the injury reserve list. It's hard <laughs> to do. And then the year before, they were coming off that Super Bowl hangover where everyone struggled. So, yeah. I think this year is Atlanta's time to bounce back, and I think we're going to see Deion Jones reestablish himself as, hey, I'm, I'm an A player, too. I'm an A linebacker. Don't forget about it, either. Yeah, no, you're 100% correct again. Um, all right, so... So far, one through three, we're pretty much the same. Obviously, I flipped Luke Keekley, Bobby Wagner. But I think going beyond this, we're probably going to have some different choices. I'm really hoping because I have some weird choices going beyond this. So go ahead. What's your number four? I hope they're different. Otherwise, we might as well just throw this out of the way because it's supposed to be comparing lists. Otherwise, we're both just saying, like, yeah, you are really smart. And that's yeah. not really fun. To... <laughs> number four, a little bit of bias, but a little bit of, oh, my God, he led the league in tackles as a rookie, Darius Leonard. The man's... We talked about a lot when we were doing the top 100 thing. Get this man on the list. He's probably the best tackler in the league, arguably. If not, he's the best at getting them. He's one of the. He's mastered the Charles Tillman fist punch. Looking back at his highlights, he forced I think it was eight forced fumbles and maybe nine if you include the playoffs, something like that. He, anytime he's coming in from the side, he just makes a face like screw it and throws a right hook like he should be in the UFC, basically. Yeah. He's really pretty good in coverage. He doesn't get a lot of picks, but if you look back at that second game, Houston and Indy, I remember watching this one because I was dumbfounded how this worked basically indy is not the smartest defense sometimes even though it works 
Darius Leonard was lined up on DeAndre Hopkins in the slot on, I think it was third and four or fourth and four. Darius Leonard covered him and tipped the ball away when they tried to throw a slant to Hopkins. Like, obviously you don't want Leonard guarding Travis Kelsey, for example. Like, in that playoff game, Travis Kelsey ate all over them because they played that zone and backed way off, and Patty and Travis picked him apart. But Darius Leonard's only going to get better, too. I mean, what can't he do? He had seven sacks as well, too. He can even come off the edge. He had 18 tackles in a game, 20 tackles in a game. Like, He's the ultimate tackling machine. What's a linebacker's primary job? Tackle the guy with the ball. And yeah. nobody does it better than him in the league right now. No. For some reason, he gets shafted on every list, every ranking, every Pro Bowl voting. So I'm putting him here at number four. It might be a little premature after 16 games of work, or I guess 18 if you include the playoffs. But he deserves it. He's done everything you could possibly want. I mean, we talk about Patrick Mahomes, quote-unquote, rookie season, or his first year starting. Darius Leonard's first year starting, he was the best linebacker in football last year, if you look at it numbers-wise. Yeah, so I as as much as I agree with everything you just said, you're about to leave him off the list. Uh yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm snubbing Darius Leonard for the exact reason you mentioned. I I just feel it's a little too premature, and I'm gonna say that with an asterisk, saying that my number five is probably a little too premature as well. But I will say that Darius Leonard, as as great as he was last year, I don't think he's gonna go down at all. I think he's gonna continue, and some of these preseason lists I've seen. They're actually starting to give him his just due. Barely. He's, he's, he's ranked as the number one outside linebacker on NFL Network as of right now. And then weirdly, I saw another one we were looking at this list. I was like, all right, let's see what other people are ranking. There was a list that had the top 25 linebackers and didn't have him on it at all. I couldn't yeah. believe it. So I don't, I don't really get why everybody hates on Darius Leonard. I guess it's because he's a Colt. And, you know, in Indianapolis, people just kind of overlook that section of the country. Um, they look at the coast and they look down south. It really seems like what they do. That and there, I guess everyone's distracted by Andrew Lux. Is he broken? Is he not broken? You forget, oh, look at that defensive rookie of the year. Should have been in the Pro Bowl guy over there. Yeah, exactly. So, at number four for me, uh, I have an older guy that does all the good, all the things you say Darius Leonard did, but he's a little older. Telvin Smith. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Telvin Smith. My bad. Ha! I wrote down the wrong letter. That's my fault. I misspelled it. So, anyways. Either way, I get what you're getting at. Down in Jacksonville, leading that defense, along with Honcho Jack, Miles Jack, for those that don't know. Uh, you know, this is a, as a guy who's done it for, for, for a couple years now, solidly. And when he's on, that Jacksonville defense plays awesomely. Like, it is hard to stop that Jacksonville defense when he is leading the charge. He is fantastic in coverage as well. I get a little worried about him in run defense because he's tiny compared yeah. to a lot of these guys. And I'm wondering, like, he said, if I'm not mistaken, he said on, like, Instagram or something he's not playing football this year. So that's why I'm a little little worried. What's going on there? Like, is he, are there injuries he's kind of hiding with that? Is he just is he tired of getting hit? Like, I'm curious. And then when he comes back, is he the same player? Is it yeah. Does the layoff hurt him or does he come back rejuvenated? So I love yeah. me some Tevin Smith. He's... He deserves to be on this list, honestly. There's just a few questions I have, and the, the size thing, too. Like, when it comes to stopping the run, sideline to sideline, running and around on him, I dare you. But yeah, run, at, run at him with a good good offensive line, I think he can get, not really had, but he can be blocked. Granted, when you block him, Calais Campbell does what Calais Campbell does, and engulfs everything. So, yep. I think he is also, he's really good, but I think he is also the beneficiary of having 18 All-Pros surrounding him. Yeah, no, that, 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 that defensive Jacksonville definitely has stars surrounding him, but I don't think they get those, you know, I don't think that defense works unless Tevin Smith is there, and we'll see this year. I mean, you were right. They were basing this list off of if there were no injuries and people were to play, like, based off rosters currently, so, you know. We're going to find out, like, how good, we're going to find out, because 
Jacksonville defense falls off even more than last year. It's like, oh, God, get Tevin Smith back. It's gonna, We're yeah. going to recognize really quickly. Exactly. So that's why I have him on the list. I just think he's done it for long enough, and he gets overlooked in Jacksonville. I mean, if you if, if you look at linebackers, everybody's like, oh, Jacksonville. Ah, uh, Jalen Ramsey, that's all anybody cares about for any position on defense. Because Jalen will shut up. Exactly. So, you know, you got Tevin Smith there. That's that's my pick for number four. So what about you? you got, who do you got round out your list? Number five. Number five, very similar. Everything you said about Tevin, just on a different part of the Florida coastline. Levante David out of Tampa Bay. He has been in the league, I think, since 2012, 2013, 2011, somewhere in that area. I don't remember the I don't remember his exact draft class. All he's done is be a tackling machine be a force of nature in coverage, be an all-pro player that kind of gets overlooked because Tampa Bay just sucks, unfortunately. And drafting Jameis Winston kind of set that franchise back ages, unfortunately, for them. He, he's fantastic. He's a little small at six foot one, six foot two, but he, he smacks people. He gets a heart. He gets at least a hit stick a game, it seems like. He's always covering the best. Honestly, he could probably cover the best receiver better than most of his defensive backs can. Yeah, especially, especially in Miami. Yeah. His range is fantastic. He reads the offensive line cues and comes downhill when it's needed. You don't really see him get fooled with play action. Like, oh, God, he's supposed to guard that tight end, and he's 50 yards away from him. Oh, no. It's more of, oh, wow, this Tampa Bay defense sucks. That guy's 50 yards away from everybody. Yeah. But I, just watching the film, watching the game, I see Levante David. He flashes all the time. He's a guy where you stick him on. Stick him on Indy, for example, next to Darius Leonard. Oh, boy. Good luck, everybody. Stick yeah. him on the Cowboys next to Jalen Smith and Leighton Vandrish. Oh, my God, everybody. Heck, stick him on the Patriots where he just where they will scheme around him. Good luck. He's about to be the defensive player of the year. Put him in Jacksonville with Tevin Smith, like those kind of guys. He can basically eat on any team, and he still does. His problem is he's surrounded by, I don't want to say bad players, but they were a pretty all-time bad defense for a while there. Yeah, no, that you know that is actually a really good pick. That's... He's another guy that just gets overlooked because of his team. That's another one. They look at the offensive side, you know, Jameis. Yeah, they look at Jameis' police record and Ryan Fitzmagic's eight and a half quarters of brilliance every year before he turns back into Fitzpatrick. Before the clock strikes midnight and he turns back into a pumpkin. Basically, yeah, that's a pretty solid Disney analogy there. But anyway. (laughs) All right, so for me, number five, as I said, I have an asterisk next to the reason why I didn't put Darius Leonard on the list because... For me, I have another guy that's on this Leighton Vanderesh. So that's my choice for that one. Um, you yeah. and everyone else definitely likes them some Leighton. Like, he's got a lot of love, and I understand why. He's a beast, especially coming downhill, and he looks like Thad Castle. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah, you know, plus he's a cowboy, and I'm a little biased. Hmm. It, there, if, there's a, if there's a bright spot in Dallas, it's their defense, and I will love I, on that defense until they let me down yet again, I and then I'll hate them. Is, I think what you mean is it's one of the thousands of bright spots in Dallas. Dallas really only has, like, two not bright spots at this point, really. Yeah, and one of them is their starting quarterback, unfortunately. But that's 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 a subject for a different time. Well, well there goes my tease, but go ahead and continue. Yes. <laughs> but, no, yeah. I, I, so I got laid in there. You know, all the things you said about Darius Leonard, plus just the, the pass defense for him, I feel like just defending against the pass, he's just – He's kind of a Luke Keekley miniature version. You know, like he's he's growing into that type of a player. I think he's good at rallying to the ball. He's one of the best. It's like, oh, ball must kill. And yeah. he goes after it. I think carding tight ends down the field, he needs some more clear. Oh, I think yeah. They use Jalen Smith more in that role a little bit too. But I know what you Well, know. when you have a guy at linebacker who runs, what, a 4-6 with a broken knee? like, And then Sean Lee as well, who's one of the best cover linebackers when his knee's not shattered into pieces. Yeah. And that's something that Leighton Van Der Esch has an advantage of that – a guy like Darius Leonard doesn't. 
is he gets to shadow him. under Sean Lee. He has a guy next to him in Jalen Smith that's going to be an all-time good one to watch. Like, that duo might be the next up, you know? Like, we don't know yet. If they both get to stick around and get paid, assuming Dak doesn't take $50 million and Zeke doesn't take 30 So we'll see how that yeah, gets well, laid out. But Exactly. So, you know, but that's my choice for number five. So, obviously, yeah, I broke my own rule for sticking it up there. You know, 16 games of experience, 17, but still. I have to put him up there. I, you know, my bias is coming into play. Maybe rallying to the ball, I like Leighton a little bit. Just getting to the ball and getting a lot of those assisted tackles. Like, I know Darius loved the league in tackles, but and Leighton came in a few games later, like three or four before he started getting going. So I like Leighton rallying to the ball, always being a part of the pile. I like Darius's ability to force takeaways and change the game with the force fumbles, the picks, and the sacks. But as far as just, like, purely going and killing guy with ball... Layton's one of the better ones at it too. Like he's very good downhill and then running sideline. Like you run a screen here or you run a flat route or slant curl flat combo. He finds himself in the middle of every play. So that is one thing he does very very well. No one can argue. Exactly. So that you know just wrap that up. So for your list, your top five, we got Luke Eakley, Bobby Wagner, Deion Jones, Levante David, or Darius Leonard, then Levante David. That rounds out your top five. For me, I got. Bobby, Luke Keekley, Deion Jones, Tevin Smith, and then Leighton to round out my top five. Do you have an honorable mention? I know I do, but go ahead and start with you. Honorable mention from just outside your top list? There's a few guys. One of them is your boy Jalen Smith. I think he's on the rise, too. Another guy I wanted to mention who I think gets a little bit overlooked just because he had a slow start to the season last year with the holdout and everything. I think Roquan Smith's going to be that dude one day. I think out of all these guys we mentioned, like all the young linebackers with Darius and Leighton and Jalen and all those guys, like the sub-26 linebackers, which are looking fantastic, by the way, he might be the best in just pure covering, just pure coverage, honestly. He flies across the field. I think he could be Levante David or Deion Jones 2.0. He can blitz a little bit. I just think that holdout and not starting the first few weeks kind of slowed him a little bit. But he came on strong towards the end of the year. Some of those plays he made like against the Rams when they shut that offense down. Yeah. Plus, there's just something about him. Every team he's on, that defense just elevates. I know Khalil Mack was the big reason this defense went from 15 to top five or whatever it was. But Roquan's a culture changer, too. I think he's going to be that next great Bears middle linebacker. Maybe next year he becomes a Pro Bowl player. But after that, look out for Roquan Smith. The one weakness for him with a lot of these guys nowadays is you get a guard on him, he's screwed. Like, he's already Miles Jack, honestly, when I watch him. He is already Miles Huncho Jack at yeah. bare minimum as far as flying all over the place. And then, unfortunately, when you block him, that's where he, he struggles getting off blocks because he's a little guy, which has kind of been a theme with a lot of these newer linebackers. But do you take coverage and ability to fly everywhere or the big, strong linebackers that break off blocks like a Lance Briggs back in the day or like a Dick Buckus type guy? So I love me some Roquan. I think he's going to be that dude, but... We had number six on the list. It'd probably be your boy, your boy Jalen. Uh, yeah, I like it. I love Jalen. Uh, don't get me wrong. Um, he's not going to be my honorable mention because I mean you just mentioned him one, and but also uh, I got another couple guys. Uh, Bernardic McKinney, the the guy down in Houston. It's hard to what he does for Houston on the backside of Jadavian Clowney and JJ Watt is, I mean, honestly outstanding. Like the guy is he. he he did something that hasn't been done in Texas history since Brian Cushing last year, which was so many tackles, a pick, and a fumble recovery, and there's a couple other stats involved. But Brian Cushing wasn't a bad guy to be compared to in, in Texans history, but McKinney right now, I think, is kind of that 
B-level player in the linebackers. He's he's good enough on when he's on his best to be an a, a low A-level guy, but when he's you know playing his average game, that's probably a high B-level guy. So right there on that edge of the top ten, top five, depending on kind of who's healthy and who's playing. I so. do like his game. He is fantastic. He's very late, and like he gets a buttload of tackles. He had over 100 last year combined. A couple years ago, he had 130 combined. I think it was yeah. 129, something like that. He doesn't do a whole lot otherwise. He did have quite a few pass deflections, which just come from being in the middle linebacker spot. Yeah. Only forced, like, he's only has a few forced fumbles in his career, only like only one pick that he got last year. But as far as a pure tackling machine, especially when you're surrounded by those guys, he puts up numbers. He's a guy... When you play him, you always ID him. Like the quarterbacks are always pointing, like this dude. Watch this dude. Please don't let this yeah. dude destroy stuff. Yeah, exactly. And and he's you know on the, on that Texans team, he does what he needs to do. You know, when you're playing that team, that if he doesn't make the tackle at the second level, I don't really know anybody in that safety group that is Not really going to be the one that's going to be making it, sticking their nose in and making a tackle. So especially now with Tyron Matthew gone, so like he's kind of I don't want to say their last line of defense, but if you get past that defensive line, he's kind of the dude at that. point. Exactly, and then they do have the, they do have Eric Reed's brother. I can't remember. Yeah, his name. he's um, pretty nice. I like him. Like he's good. Justin Reed. There. Yep. There you go. He's gonna be a good player, but I like I like the pick with McKinney. He's he's a he's a strong tackler. He's a darker late Van Der Esch, basically. Exactly, and then maybe the other person I might throw on this list would be like a CJ Mosley. You can't guy, go wrong with CJ a guy. Mosley. A guy who just signed a, a a nice contract to go to the Jets. And, it's a thick contract. Too, yeah, like he said, <laughs> and you know he he's done it. And he's just your kind of prototypical middle linebacker. A big, stocky guy. Not really going to get bothered by the run as much, though. I think... Um, I don't know why the Ravens let him go, honestly. Like, unless we're missing something. Like, he got really good really, really quickly and kind of plateaued off a little bit. But he plateaued at a damn good level. I mean, he's yeah. a Pro Bowl-level linebacker. And honestly, there is no reason he shouldn't be on either one of our lists. I just picked other guys that make a few more plays here or there, honestly. But if you put him on any defense in the league, maybe... 27 other teams he's the best he's a starting middle linebacker he's honestly he's probably number six or seven two now that you mentioned him honestly yeah i probably put him over jalen smith i just honestly overlooked him because and it's easy it's to weird do. to see that the ravens let him go yeah he doesn't make as many huge plays he just makes a billion small plays exactly and it is it's easy to do with them and especially a guy changing teams you never know how they're going to react you sign a big contract we see it all the time in sports you sign a big contract and then the guy has that Take it easy season, basically. You know, if that, especially when they go to the Jets, we never hear from them again. Yeah, exactly. The Jets is a dark hole. So, all right, that wraps up our linebackers and our honorable mentions. Let's move over to tight ends, shall we? Tight ends, it the most fun position in the league sometimes, and for the first time in a while, I don't think there's a clear number one. Honestly, I mean, for however many years, it was clearly Gronkowski. Honestly, yeah, which which kind of transitions into this one. Everyone on my list has one thing in common. They don't block for shit. Yeah. yeah. Like, without Gronkowski, there is no more elite tight end who also is an elite blocker. All the tight ends are, that are left are basically top-tier receivers that, when they block, they just put their big body in the way. But they're yeah. not Gronkowski offensive lineman lead pulling. Yeah, I don't think either of us have Vance McDonald on our list. He's probably the best blocking tight end currently. Jack O'Doyle rules is not on the list, even though he rules. Like, he's yeah. awesome. Like, guys like that, that will stick their nose in there, I mean, or... Yeah, there's a lot of good blocking tight ends, but there's not without Gronkowski. There's no none of these elite tight ends or elite blockers as well. Yeah. So for me, number one is Mr. Julie Ertz, Zach Ertz himself. Ah. He's the ultimate safety blanket. When Carson was Carson Wentz was healthy, he was on an all-time pace for tight ends. He had what was 118 grabs last year, the yeah. record for tight ends comfortably. 
he was on pace for I think it's like 135. He was almost on pace for the receiving just catches record. He's the ultimate mismatch. He's weirdly fast, but he's not stupid fast like some other guys like Noah Fant who just came out of Iowa who ran a four five flat or a Vernon Davis back in the day. He's not that stupid fast, but he's fast. He's not huge, but he's still like six four two fifty whatever it is. Like he's yeah. a big tight end. He runs beautiful routes for a tight end. He catches everything, and he's just a playmaker. I mean, we saw it in the Super Bowl. They need to get a they quote unquote they need to get a bucket like in the NBA Finals. You need to score. They put Zach Ertz on an island. They're like, all right, New England, put whoever you want on him. He smokes him on the slam route and dives in for that touchdown. And it was a catch for all the New England fans who say, he dropped it. No, he didn't. He broke the plane. The play was over, and then the ball popped out of there. He took three steps. It's a touchdown. Accepted. Exactly. But he, he's the ultimate mismatch. He can do anything you want from him besides block. But none of these guys block. So, I, You know, I, I, I love Mr. Juliers himself. Uh, probably the only guy that is married to somebody that I would – absolutely probably fight a guy for uh i'm, I'm like you know, but he'd probably whoop my butt so it's you know hey what do i know i got 50 on the earth's family yeah i mean they're world-class athletes they're literally world-class gold medalist for one of them so it feels blasphemous saying that someone who's not even the most athletic person in their household is the best tight end in football <laughs> but i would if i'm taking tight ends he's my first pick hands down i'll take him in the first round if we just put everybody in a pool and i don't get a quarterback in the top five per se sam at the back end of the first round it's hard not to take Zach Ertz. I mean, he makes any quarterback better if they throw him the ball. Yeah. Well, so, again, as much as I agree with everything you said, um, I'm actually going with my relative. He, has, he shares my name. Uh, Travis Kelsey at number one. Uh, everything you said about Zach Ertz kind of applies right here. He's a huge mismatch. He runs great routes. The difference is he can go up and get the ball over the top of Pretty much anybody. He is a little bit bigger, more physically yeah. gifted. I, I like Zach Ertz route running a little bit more, but I love Travis Kelsey's ability to respect. I am a garage door. Hit me. And yeah, he exactly. Makes Patrick Mahomes' job a whole lot easier. Yeah, there was a sports science a while back when Chad Johnson was still playing that they did it, and he could cover the space of an elephant, like a, a fully grown African elephant. Yeah, and they did it with Calvin Johnson, too, and it was like, oh, wow, he just covered the entire tri-state area. Yeah, exactly. And, and I feel like Travis Kelsey is that... That guy, but from a tight end position of all places, it's just it's crazy to see. He has the athleticism and the hands of a receiver, but he does it from a tight end position. Who were on a team up until they lost Kareem Hunt for obvious reasons. He had to block sometimes for Kareem Hunt, and when he wants to block, he can block. I, he but he doesn't do it often. Like he's very much a guy that if you pop him in the mouth, he's probably not going to try to block. He you doesn't anymore. kick butt at blocking per no. se. But he's a big body and he's good at just being big and standing there. So that's yeah. why I was kind of saying like it's not like Gronkowski. He'll, he'll stick his face in there. He will grab both sides of the shoulder pads, get his head in your chest, and drive you. Like he will yeah. seven man sledge you by himself. Yeah, Gronk I think is the only only guy recently who could probably say that they can take anybody on the field in a one-on-one blocking battle and win that battle. I as think. well as beating them in a mismatch battle. Good luck covering him. And good yeah. luck. He's the best tight end we've ever seen in his short time. Problem is injuries derailed him, so he's still only a top five all-time tight end. Oh, no, dot number one because of injuries. But. Exactly. But, no, so, yeah. I, I, you know, I have Travis Kelsey there, and you got Patty Mahomes throwing on the ball. The guy gets just loves to throw the ball around, so you get Travis Kelsey a lot of times on an island versus smaller corners and – that was one thing it's that fun to see. they both did really well in that playoff game against Indy because Indy plays that zone where they back off like, all right, Tyreek Hill, you're not going over the top of us. Even though we don't have all of our healthy defensive backs, you refuse to let you go over the top of us. They both were like, okay, 
Travis Kelsey for 10 yards, Travis Kelsey for 13 yards, Travis Kelsey for 7 yards. All the way down to the red zone, they double-team Kelsey. Okay, we'll run it up the gut. Exactly. Like they, basically, him alone is the reason that that offense is so unstoppable because Tyreek Hill is going to kill man coverage just with his speed most of the time. Yeah. Travis Kelsey lets you kill zone just because he'll find the open spot and get open. Or if he's covered, he'll just put, he'll just basically put sit on someone's head and catch the ball either way. So yeah, it's hard to argue with Travis Kelsey. I mean, he's Travis Kelsey. Well, I look at that team, and you know when they had Kareem Hunt, they had Tyreek Hill running the tops off of defense, and you have Travis Kelsey there. I think you pull out Travis Kelsey, that offense completely shuts down. But you saw they got rid of Kareem Hunt, and they still kept rolling. They definitely if Tyreek slowed down Hill a lot, was, but yeah. If Tyreek Hill was hurt, that that team could still get going. I just. I feel like he's just so crucial to what Andy Reid likes to do. Andy Reid's always loved his tight ends. He definitely keeps them on so. schedule. Like I think they'd still be a perennially good offense without him just because yeah. Patty's that good and they have all the weapons. But I think he gives them, like we talked about in that Colts game, the ability to slow the game down and pick teams apart. I think against New England, New England's like, you know what, you will not beat us with Kelsey. And that's why it took them up. They were basically shut out for half. And they're like, oh, okay, screw it. Tyreek Hill will be down there somewhere. Yeah. Then that's when they started opening things up, and that's when the game changed. But I think... If you want to stop them, you do have to stop Kelsey. We agree with that. Like, oh, yeah. you, you can kind of let... Like, Tyreek Hill can beat you deep, but he's not going to beat you deep every single play, most likely. Like, it's hard to connect on a 50-yard bomb every single play. Granted, they seem like they do it all the time. But yeah, you know, it's. I feel like it's once a quarter, once a drive, they attempt a 50-yard... And they're going to do that. Go but over the top. If like. you can take Travis out of the game, you have, your odds are so much greater because he just moves the chains, like... Nothing negative to say about Travis Kelsey, really, whatsoever. I no. like Zach Ertz's overall game a little bit better, but once again, Travis Kelsey, for me, is my number two tight end. I'll just go ahead and jump ahead to yeah. it because I think we're already kind of at that point. Everything you said, splitting hairs, I like Travis Ertz's quote-unquote game a little bit more, but, God, the dude is foot seven and covers an entire elephant, basically. Yeah. Like, it's You can't go wrong with him. The one thing I'd like to see more from him is I don't see a lot of like goal line fades to him, weirdly enough, like... Yeah, they don't really split them out and throw fades like the Patriots did with Gronkowski where it's a slant fade option or pretty much every team does with their tight end. I mean, the Colts did it with Dallas Clark back in the day. They do it with Ebron now. You see Jason Witten did it a lot back in the day. Zach Ertz did it in the Super Bowl. You don't see it as much with Travis. Maybe it's just because they like him at the tight end spot and he still feasts. He still scores it from there in the red zone. Just It's kind of interesting. I wonder why. Like, I don't know if it's something like he just, maybe he can't jump over a phone book, I guess. I don't know. Like, We haven't really had to see him have to do it. Yeah, but we have seen him jump over people yet, though. So which you know. is the weird part. Like that's why I'm thinking, <laughs> put him out there. Maybe he's a guy that needs momentum to jump. I don't know. Like maybe. Once maybe. again, I'm literally trying. We were talking 98 and 99 overall players here. Like yeah. Kelsey for me is the second best tight end. Who's your number two? Uh, for number two, it's just like you said, uh, Mr. Juliards okay, is, is my number two. My list now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just my number two. I mean, it's it's like you said, we're split. It's just like the linebackers list for me. I feel like the top two are just. They're the top two for a reason. Now, you've got some challengers coming up, but they are the top two right now. I think Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, I don't think you can go wrong one or two with those two. I think they are pretty well interchangeable. It's just your preference on a tight end. You know, Do you want a big-bodied guy, or do you want a receiver a that's a little thick? 6'2", six, 6'3", six, guy that's thick. Like, you know, like that's... Well, I guess he's six, probably 6'4", six, but yeah. He's, the, he's a big boy. He's just not as... No one's as big as yeah. Travis Kelsey, so I mean, it's a, yeah, I know what you're saying. But, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, that's that's my choice for, for number two. All right, who do you got at number three? Number three, I'm worried we're going to have the same thing again. I got the Iowa Hawkeye himself, George Kittle, who came out of nowhere and turned into the best, probably the most athletic receiving tight end we've seen in a while. I mean, 
Against Denver, he had 200-something yards in the first half. He runs away from everybody. He gets wide open. Those guys like Bobby Wagner, we talked about those linebackers, they can't even cover him. Yeah. He's the fastest tight end on this list for me, at least. He is by far the fastest of the guys I have listed. Yeah. He catches the ball cleanly. Like you can tell, he's a natural. He's like a receiver who just got a little too darn heavy, basically, is what it seems like. <laughs> like he's a pretty good-sized guy, even coming out of Iowa. Like Even at Iowa, he's pretty good, but he wasn't like this. Like Even the people who saw him play coming up through the ranks, the scouts, the Iowa Hawkeye coaches, no one saw this coming with Mike Shanahan. Not Mike Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan coaching him. Jimmy Garoppolo coming back healthy. I think he's in for an equally big year. It's going to be a doozy to watch him. He's probably, not, I don't want to say the smallest because he's still like 6'5", 250, like all these other. He's a lot more wiry looking. He's not as thick. He's not built like a brick. You go yeah. what house like Travis Kelsey or even if, Zach Ertz, who's a little wide. But If I saw him walking on the street, I would not assume he would be a tight end. I would just assume he was a heavier, yeah, heavier, heavier, um, receiver or a former linebacker like something like that yeah like not know. one of the top three tight ends in the league and runs away from chris harris jr and guys like that yeah and then last year who was throwing in the ball and he still ate on everybody <laughs> I mean, insert perennial backup here it was literally the larry fitzgerald comment conversation we had for years that and the deandre hopkins comment for years that was basically him after the first three weeks last year when jimmy went down it was like oh okay nate mullins i think it was who had a few good moments yeah. cj bethard ironically another iowa quarterback i mean like they just there's a weird connection of people throwing to him, yet it always worked. There he was, always open, always scoring touchdowns. I think he finished with five, and he had like 90 snags, 1,300, almost 1,400 yards. He, that dude's a stud. He's kind, he's kind of goofy looking. He kind of has a joker look to him, honestly. Yeah. Like, he looks evil. And he, like watching some of his like sound bites from the top 100 and stuff, he's, he's kind of a goofy dude. But when it comes game time, I don't want any part of him. I'm not covering him. Yeah, he's a different animal on the field. And, you know... You, where do you, we, he's on my list, but he's not my number three. Um, I do have Ebron at number three. And really the reason I have Ebron on number three is I've always thought he was the most, he was always athletically gifted enough. He just, his issues are always been the drops. If and, he had actual hands, he would yeah. be the best tight end in football. The problem is he's trying to catch it with nubs. Exactly. And, you know, I, I do look at Ebron and, and that Andrew Luck tandem, and I feel like that's the perfect tight end for Andrew Luck. It's kind of how Dallas Clark and Peyton Manning worked out. You, you, put, you take Dallas Clark and put him on any other team when he's coming up, you probably don't get the same Dallas Clark. He's probably not the fringe Hall of Fame level he was playing at, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, and so, like, you know, we saw Ebron with Matt Stafford, who is a great quarterback. Fantastic quarterback, You know, honestly, yeah. but he just couldn't get it done with him. And he just kept – drops were his big thing. And so, they, you know, the Lions and – all their issues in the front office aside, they just pulled him, pulled him out. They just wouldn't put him in like situations where he could score. And he couldn't block either, like everyone else on this list. So he couldn't contribute elsewhere, honestly. Which exactly. He's turned into an acceptable blocker, like the rest of these guys. Like he's not a revolving door necessarily. Like he'll, <laughs> yeah. he tries at least. Like he'll at least, at the very least, stand in the way of somebody trying to run through him and and keep him somewhat at bay. Like he'll he's try to set a basketball pick, and then he will roll to the flat, basically. Exactly. But no, I do think I think as far as. You know, we talk about that Indianapolis Colts receiving core. It's a lot of small guys. Ebron is that big body that you can sit out wide and you can actually run that fade type route with a fade slant option with him. That is one thing they did. They split him out, ran him on corners. Like, Luck loves throwing to tight ends. I mean, we saw with Kobe Fleener, Jack Doyle now. Dwayne Allen, he actually Dwayne Allen had almost 10 touchdowns in a season with Andrew Luck. And Dwayne Allen kind of sucks, honestly. Yeah. I, if he's... I 
His biggest problem was he's never healthy. And he can't, and he drops the ball like Ebron, and he doesn't run as fast as Ebron. He's kind of slow. What he did well is he blocked, and he basically would get kind of open when no one's watching him. Exactly. Like, and then Jack Doyle rules. We talked about him. He threw one. I think he had five, they had five tight ends catch touchdowns last year. So yeah, I'm gonna talk more about Ebron because he's on my list at a different spot too. But everything you said about Ebron's kind of true. Honestly, I mean, there's not a whole lot wrong. Like, yeah. it's a good pick. Honestly, like at number three, and, that's a good spot. And the only reason I don't have Kittle here, he is on my list. But the only reason I don't have Kittle here is I do worry because he, as you said, he came out of nowhere. Can he? I want to see him sustain it because that tight end role, we've seen it like Austin Hooper, uh, great for one whole season, but now he's kind of like he's just an auxiliary piece in Atlanta. You know, now he's just really blocking. I will say like the two things on that is they have a lot more weapons in Atlanta where San Fran doesn't, and Steve Sarkeesian as a, the offense coordinator there, he ran that offense basically into the dirt after Shanahan left. Like, yeah, like how can you misuse Julio Jones? And I mean, geez, how do you not get that man in? The, touchdowns what are you doing and then that brings the question is it a kyle shanahan thing which is a good question but or is it is it george kittle being that good and that's why i, I we didn't I'm see hesitant. austin hooper do this though yeah no I'm, I'm, others, I'm, so yeah. I'm hesitant to put him at three but he is a top five tight end in my opinion fair enough who do you have at number four then so number four for me is greg olson old reliable old season old, reliable old reliable probably the best blocker on this list um, he was much better before his ailing injuries, would yeah. you say? But like between the injuries, his personal incident events over the last couple of years, I mean, the guy's been through it, and he has Cam Newton throwing him the ball. Let's be honest: out of quarterbacks, you want throwing to a tight end? Maybe not Cam. He throws those outbreaking corner routes and ones where he can strong arm him very well. But yeah. those underneath and those touch passes, like you usually throw to tight ends, leave a little bit to be desired. Yeah, but. Somehow Greg Olson still puts up stats. It helps when you, you do know? have when you're six foot six or whatever he is, and you're like, oh, by the way, I'm always open. Yeah, and he can run, and he even at his age with his batted legs and everything, he can still at least a sub five by maybe a point two, point three, but like or point oh two, point oh three, but like he's the new age Jason Witten. Yeah, right? yeah. This, like, at this point, he's what Jason Witten had had been before he retired the first time. You know, I don't think Jason Witten's going to last much longer after this season anyways. But, that's say, but he's not on my list. He's not number five. Sorry, guys. No, Jason, Jason Witten uh, isn't on my list either. I'm, I'm biased, but I'm not that biased. Uh, you spend a season in the booth, guy. It's not going to work. But, yeah, so that's my number four. If the Bears, as great of a trade as it was getting Khalil Mack, guys, they still probably wish they had kept Greg Olson, honestly. Like, letting him go. His best years were in Carolina, but what he could have been if the Bears would have kept him, too. Especially oh, yeah. Some of those offensive teams they were building, I think he could have been a stabilizing force before they imploded. Yeah, I think Jay Cutler, him and Jay Cutler, that would have been a nice, that would that, that would been, been fun. Nice. You give Jay Cutler a legit checkdown option as opposed to Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey, who are both. I'm six foot five, running up the sideline. I'm gonna make a stupid good catch. Exactly. And then Matt Forte, team's kind of key. I'm like, oh, let's take away Matt Forte. That's that seems like a good idea. There was yeah. nowhere else to go. Exactly. So I mean, and we saw it even with Jeremy Shockey when Jeremy Shockey was in Carolina with Greg Olson. Jeremy Shockey was technically the number one. Nobody but, believed that, though. Yeah, exactly. If you look at the stats, Greg Olson was far and above the number one in Carolina during that time. Jeremy Shockey would look like a ghost of Jeremy Shockey, and Greg Olson just took the reins and has not let go of him since, despite everything going on in his life. You know, he's just one of those good guys in the NFL that you just root for as well. You like, can't hate on him. Like, there's it, not a whole lot to hate on. Yeah, the worst thing about Greg Olson is he plays for the Panthers. And, okay, 
I feel bad for you. Mm-hmm. But that's about all we got for going for it. Like, he's a good dude. He means well. And the dude's been through it. So, I, I don't know. As a tight end, though, I think he is still in a top five role. I don't have a number four, but I obviously respect his game. Number four, I have a guy who we didn't see play last year until basically the very end, Hunter Henry. When he's healthy, when he's good, he was George Kittle before George Kittle with a little less inflated stats because of that San Diego slash L.A. I'm still calling him San Diego because it's still broken there in L.A. Yeah, I agree. They have so many weapons, and Phil Rivers is an equal opportunist feaster, basically. Like, he will throw to literally anybody. If he feels they are open, he will shock put that ball to them. It could be the towel boy wearing a jersey on the field at the wrong time. He's going to throw him the ball. They don't even have to be wearing a towel boy. They don't have to be wearing a jersey. They could just have any sort of Chargers logo on. He's like, that's my guy. Yep. He <laughs> oh, he's open. I'm throwing him the ball with my weird shot put arm. And he he hits everybody. They've had Antonio Gates. Like he's He will throw to anyone. And Hunter Henry's a mismatch. He's really fast. He's probably the smallest tight end on this list, if I'm not mistaken. He's not the tallest. He's not the biggest. He just He's always open. He's You could tell he was a receiver at some point in his life before he, he got bigger and was a tight end. Oh, yeah. Like, and he's tall, but he's not quite as thick as the other guys. I mean, I guess he is like six foot six. I mean, he's lengthy, kind of up there with Travis Kelsey, but he doesn't look as broad. Like, he doesn't look, I think that, he doesn't look like an offensive lineman who can run like Travis Kelsey does, for example, or Gronkowski. He's a little more wiry, kind of the Kittle build. I think him and George Kittle are kind of splitting hairs. The only thing is, Kittle's, I think, a little bit better running with the ball, where Hunter Henry might be a little bit better route running. So I kind of have them 3A, 3B, 3B, 3A. And Kittle played last year with literally nobody around him. Where Hunter Henry didn't play, and the Chargers were a Super Bowl contender, like a lot of people's sleeper pick going into it. Yeah. Rightfully so, I mean, they, until they ran into the New England buzzsaw. And honestly, I, I, I'll be honest, I forgot about Hunter Henry uh, when I was making my list. So Steve Smith didn't forget about so much. He had said he was playing in a game when he was injured. So Yeah, I so, you know, it's one of those things, like, I, I just completely spaced out about Hunter Henry even existing at uh, one point mm-hmm. in time. Um but, yeah, he, I do agree with everything. I, he's probably number six on my if, – if I were to keep my list going, he'd be about six or seven on my list for sure. So You can't go wrong. Like, he's, just, yeah. he's just an ultimate receiving tight end who doesn't block. And he, the, he's the perfect guy to follow up Antonio Gates in, in San Diego slash L.A. Hmm. Because I, I'm like you. I cannot stop calling him San Diego. But I do think he'd be the perfect guy to follow up that Antonio Gates precedent. Because he is that big body that can run. So If he stays healthy and they figure out the Melvin Gordon thing, this offense could be pretty filthy coming in this year. Of all things, knock on wood, stay healthy. I mean, they've already, Derwin James is already, yikes, I don't know what's going on with him. But offensively, that team could be filthy if Hunter Henry's healthy the whole way. They could be, they could challenge that division, probably even win it, honestly. I think they have a little more talent than even Kansas City does. No doubt. But we'll see how they, we'll see how things mold because they are cursed with injuries all the time. So, yeah. All right, I'll go ahead and wrap up my list since we've already talked about them. George Kittle, number five. Uh, everything you said about George Kittle is 100% true. Like I said, though, my only worry is, is it a flash in the pan or can he sustain it? And if he sustains it this year, I my list changes dramatically and he will become that next dude. He's the guy I talked about earlier that he is an up-and-comer. And if he can keep it up this season, it doesn't have to be the same extraordinary you know, stats he put up that last year. But if it's close, if even a good season for, for a tight end, like he is going to be that guy. He just basically, he's establishing, he's got next, basically, at this point yeah. in his career. And we talked about Ebron. I had him at number five. The one caveat I have with him, too, is does it, if Andrew Luck can't play, for example, because we have no idea what's going on with his leg. Like, we've seen him at least kind of throwing in pregames, but that's different than playing. So we'll see if he even plays, honestly. Yeah. If Andrew Luck plays, Ebron can climb this list. He could jump Hunter Henry and maybe even George Kittle. The question is, if Jacoby Brissett plays, does Ebron jump? Because, I mean, 
Like you said, we saw him struggle with Stafford, who's a stud quarterback. But we've seen Andrew Luck thrive with any tight end. If they have tight end listed on their roster, they will score touchdowns with him. Yeah, I think, like true. I said, Jack O'Doyle rules, Mo Alley-Cox, Eric Ebron, two other guys I can't even remember their names scored touchdowns as tight ends. Eric Swope, the former basketball player who can't even make a team. Yeah. He's, like, Luck and tight ends just click. It's like Drew Brees and Antonio Gates were, and then Drew Brees and Jimmy Graham, and Drew Brees and any receiver who's over 6'3", basically like Mike Thomas and Marcus Colson. Like, there's something about those big body guys, and Andrew Luck's like, oh, I can just throw my touch pass in the vicinity because he's got really good ball placement. He just doesn't necessarily have the rocket to throw like a slant to a smaller receiver or something, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But when it comes to throwing the ball up the seams, he has good ball placement for a tight end to just high point it. Exactly. And those corner routes, the fades they do to Ebron, plus some end of rounds to Ebron sometimes. I mean, yeah, that's the weirdest. That's, I, I wonder if it's just something that Indy just puts into the playbook for Ebron. I don't really get it, but that is one of those weird things that I saw last year that's just like, Let's run an end around to our tight end. It reminded me that when New England had the two tight ends set up with Hernandez, Hernandez and Gronkowski, and they'd run the running back sometimes too. Yeah, like, yeah. and they'd run that little pitch under to yeah, Hernandez, like the triple option pitch under. Yeah, it was it was the weirdest thing, but it worked. And I mean, I can't hate on something if it works. And Andy might be trying to do that this year if O'Doyle can stay healthy. I know I keep calling him O'Doyle when his name's Jack Doyle, but yeah, Billy Madison has affected my outlook to say the word Doyle. Sorry, but anyway, no, no Adam Sandler reference will ever be met with anger on this podcast. I will say that any Adam Sandler reference after two thousand eight, we'll talk. But everything before that is fine. <laughs> yeah, anyway, true. moving forward, so that's why I have him at five. Just if Andrew Luck was healthy, and there's no questions. I might honestly put him above Hunter Henry, and he might be fighting with George Kittle for the spot. I'm just truly curious: is he a product of Andrew Luck? Because, like you said, we saw him struggle with another really good quarterback. And then Tom Manning is the tight ends coach for the Colts last year who went back to Iowa State as an offensive coordinator. He's a fantastic tight end coach. I mean, maybe he was the reason Ebron changed it. Maybe with him gone, they struggle regardless of who his quarterback is. You never know. Yeah. And those drops, I mean. If he just made the diamond, squeezed the ball, just if he caught the ball even like it reminded 90, me of, like 10% more, he'd be so good. His stats would be more inflated if he just had better hands. It's, and it's crazy because when he came out of college, then we're talking about a dude that made a catch – Behind his back and through his legs at one point in time. Like, I think that was Hakeem Nix, but I know what you're getting at. Well, yeah, Hakeem Nix did it behind the back, but it was like through his legs. One like Some stupid athletic catch that you're just like, how do you make that? But you drop a simple out route. Like, what? What are you doing, guy? But I don't know. I just it's Ebron is just one of those guys that reminds me of T.O. at the end of T.O.'s career when his hands didn't work. And so he literally would just have to like... Scoop catch it with his with his arms. He couldn't even really catch it with his hands. He basically had to catch it like a punt. But yeah, that's kind of what I'm worried that Ebron is dealing with. But you know, it, we'll see with Ebron. He for me I, again, I have him higher ranked, but that's just I think he plateaus at that point. I don't think he gets better. So it'll be a fun season. Like I'm I'm curious to see how all these guys play. And I want to see some of these matchups. I want to see Keekley guarding Travis Kelsey. I want to see Zach Ertz and Bobby Wagner collide. Like I'm excited yeah. for these matchups. That's kind of why we pair these teams together. We pair up guys that'll go against each other, like pass rush and O-line. So this will be a fun one. I'm excited. Yeah. These, these are the ones that basically make or break a lot of these games, especially these five tight ends. They are their safety outlets for these quarterbacks. I mean, oh, yeah. Carson, Wentz is, Carson Wentz and Zach Ertz, they, I swear, they, they are telepathic sometimes with each other. When they're both healthy and on, God, Philly has so many ways to score touchdowns this year with Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, Miles Sanders, Jordan Howard, Carson... Zach Ertz could lead the league in touchdown catches this year very easily, and that Philly offense, if everything clicks, could be scary good. Yeah. 
And then yeah. same with the Chiefs. He, the Chiefs offense. Yeah, like, no comments. Say, yeah, we, we're just going to leave them alone because they do what they do. It's same. Andy Reid leading that offense. Patty Mahomes with his arm is just... Enough said about that. Yeah. Like, we already saw it last year. I, I That dude's arm is, is, is a gem. It needs to be framed. But So that wraps up our top five linebackers and tight ends. So just to recap, DJ, go ahead. Give us your top five linebackers and tight ends all in order. So tight ends, we got Mr. Julie Ertz at the top, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Hunter Henry, Eric Ebron. Linebackers, we got Luke Keekley, Bobby Wagner, Deion Jones, Darius Leonard, Levante David. Fantastic group. All ten of these guys are basically perennial pro bowlers, if possible, basically. Assuming nobody gets snubbed, Darius Leonard. Yeah. And for me, I got, you know, top five tight ends, Travis Kelsey, Mr. Julie Ertz, uh, Eric Ebron, Greg Olson, George Kittle. And top five linebackers, Bobby, Luke Keekly, Deion Jones, Tevin Smith, and Leighton, rounding out the top five for that. And again, you're right. It's, they are perennial pro bowlers. And some of these guys are up and comers. And some of them, you know, I got Tevin Smith on my list this year. But to be honest, next year, he won't make it because if he doesn't play this year, he doesn't get ranked. Sorry, bud. But we'll see what happens with him. And we'll see exactly what he means to the Jacksonville team this year. Um, he's one that I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what happens if he doesn't play. Exactly. So, but moving on from that, we had some fights last night. Another round of fisticuffs in the books, and it oh. was it was a good one. I, I was it was a good one. It was definitely worth tuning into. Oh yeah. So we'll just we'll just cover mostly the main card. I know the undercard was was pretty fun, but you know there was there wasn't too many knockouts. Just. It was a quality undercard, but we're, they, we were all tuning in for basically the three main fights. That's why everybody yeah. was here, honestly. Like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and start right off yep. the top. Stipe Miocic, Daniel Cormier, the rematch. Oh, you're just going right to it. Okay, all the, right. The, this is the, basically, the winner of this is like, I am the greatest heavyweight of all time. It's kind of hard to argue at any point. I mean, DC never lost a round of heavyweight. Stipe killed everybody besides DC at heavyweight. And this is one we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Uh, you know, who is the greatest heavyweight ever? And I think this was... Basically, that one, like, these are the two best heavyweights, two of the top four fighters in the world today, two of the top five fighters we've seen in a while, depending on how you, just skill sets, everything you put, everything you put together. DC came out fast and dominant early. He looked so quick. Stipe was almost looked bewildered, like, watching how fast DC's punches were coming. DC would land, like, two or three, and Stipe would be like, oh, shoot, I should throw back. And DC would just, like, pull, slip, duck, and that huge slam he had in the first first round my goodness who doesn't he do that to besides john jones really and even against john he did kind of slam him like that in their first fight he's the best at throwing people through the air like they're children i don't get it he does he, he makes people look like small ragdolls like my god imagine if he could throw a football like he throws people he'd make patrick mahomes arm look average honestly yeah <laughs> yeah yeah for sure but then after dominating arguably the first three rounds and winning him stipe made an all-time great adjustment he's like okay they, in case anyone didn't see it, the two have been doing a lot of hand fighting. They'd be kind of stretching their hands out, locking hands. DC's so much faster. He'd use that game, gauge the range, get inside, land a quick two, three-piece combo, and get out. Stipe is a much lengthier guy. He's, I think, had like a 10 to 11-inch reach advantage, something ridiculous like that. And he's 7 inches taller. I mean, he's 6'4 compared to 5'10, something along those lines. So what Stipe started doing is, okay, I'm having trouble reaching your head this way. You're putting your hands up like that. He started ripping some of the dirtiest left hooks to the body I've ever heard. The very first one just, it sounded like a bat hitting those giant things of meat that you see in like a, a what's it called, like a meat cutlery? Or yeah, whatever. like a, a meat locker? Yeah, where basically they just had the giant calves or cows hanging from the roof. 
if you went up and hit one of those with a baseball bat, that's what that first liver shot sounded like. And then Steep is like, oh, well, this is a lot easier than what I was trying to do. He probably ripped four or five more of them. And DC noticeably did not like it because his hands involuntarily went down. Then after that, DC throws one, then follows it up with a one, two, recoil, two, and that's the one that put DC out. That doubling up on the two is very underrated in fights because a lot of people, like they go left, right, left, right, left, right, or left, left, right. They double up on the lead hand, if anything. You don't see them double up on the power hand because it's a farther recoil, so it's a little easier to see coming. But after he landed that first one, DC was noticeably in trouble and started kind of leaning a little bit, so he would have leaned away from a from a follow-up jab. Instead, Stipe throws another number, another two, and nobody, that right hand has killed many a heavyweight stream. <laughs> he not, had like five first-round knockouts in a row thanks to that right hand. He kind of fell in love with it. That second one probably would have taken out all of them again, plus some. That in-fight adjustment by Stipe was amazing, doubling up those shots, eliminating DC's best attribute in the stand-up, which was the hand fighting and utilizing his speed. He bit... He basically just ruined DC's stand-up game by throw, throwing to the body, which John Jones did a little bit of get like that against him too. It's kind of one of DC's, I don't want to say holes in his game, because other people have tried to punch him in the body, I guess. Maybe not to the same extent that Stipe did, where he ripped, I think, six in a row. It looked like EA Sports UFC 3, where you're just spamming the left hook to the body, and it worked. It, was, it almost looked like a broken video game glitch that I yell at people about for using on games, because it's not realistic. But yeah. I guess now it is. Don't, but, don't, don't, don't fault my strategy in UFC, okay? All right, I'll at you next time. But anyway, <laughs> I, and then after you and DC didn't really go for takedowns after that. Like he shot maybe once or twice in rounds two through four, which I thought was kind of weird. He talked about it in the post fight how he just kind of deviated, doesn't know why. I think Stipe started to frustrate him too, just because he was hanging around. I think DC thought he was gonna put Stipe away again. That first fight, he he iced him basically in less than four minutes. And after that, it's like a, how am I gonna do that better? B you don't think he can hurt you at that point because you knocked him out clean in the first round. What do you expect him to come back in? I don't think DC expected this at all. And Stipe has a really, really big head. So I bet he thought, oh, I'm just going to hit that thing at will all night long. It's hard not to want to hit a really big-headed person in the head. As a person who has a large head, I can say that if I were to get into a ring, I know people would aim at my head first. There's other reasons they'd aim it to hit you in the head, but oh, yeah. I digress. But at the same time... They'd actually meet a heavyweight you could trash talk. That might be... Sorry. Anyways. All right. Taking shots at DC <laughs> before we finish. But anyway, I think Stipe basically just reasserted himself as the top heavyweight of all time. He's got to fight Francis Ngannou next. That rematch will be fun because Francis has killed everybody else in the path. I think he has three wins since then, a few knockouts, first round two. There's nobody else for him to fight besides Stipe. DC, I want him to take a little time off, decide if he even wants to fight again. If he does, wants to, if he wants Stipe again, I think he make that fight again. Let's just round out this trilogy. Let's just do it for fun. If he wants John Jones again, like you got to make the fight, even though I don't want him to fight John again. I think he's just too old, honestly, and the injuries have added up. It's not, it's just not a fair fight for him, honestly. Like even at his absolute best, he was going to struggle with John if he could beat him. Now I think DC's, I think he's finally old, unfortunately for him. So, what a doozy of a fight, man! Stipe with the in-fight adjustments. Stipe, DC looks so good early, but I think DC, I think just the age and the time off, and honestly, just being a heavyweight, he carries a little bit too much extra weight. Honestly, he's. His build is not that conducive for long-term fighting at an old age, honestly. Like, yeah, and, and to your point, you know, you mentioned that body shot that that really kind of that transition for Stipe during the fight. It almost looked like I don't know if DC was even prepared for Stipe to go after the body. It, it, he looked a little soft in the body, especially 
where Stipe was landing that. I, I feel like that was just... Granted, DC is soft in every fight, and I think maybe this time with the time off, he didn't get a chance to sharpen up the dad bod, I guess, maybe. But... Yeah, I mean, the dude, we're talking we're talking a dude who fights, and he looks like he looks like a dad bod guy fighting, but he's still one of the most athletic fighters you know, we've ever seen. But, yeah. All the stuff just... I said about him, too, he's still a top three heavyweight in the world, honestly. I mean, he still beats pretty much everyone else, but if he's not going to be number one, I don't think he does has so much stuff going on away from fighting. Yeah. I'd say it's probably a good time to hang it up, Stipe. Continue your round as the best heavyweight of all time with your second round of being the champion. John Jones, I don't know why you even tweeted saying he was going to cry in the car. You had a 30-minute press conference crying after you got busted for dick pills. So, I mean, it's kind of a <laughs> weird transition there. But I was just saying, like, I thought that was kind of weird. Hey, basically make fun of the guy for crying after a fight when you were crying after getting oh, it's, suspended. It's, it was kind of ironic there. We're talking about the same people that... He's the same, same type of guy that may, would have made fun of Tim Tebow for crying after winning a national championship or losing a national championship, you know? like. Anyway, we're not going to talk about John Jones. We're going to move on to the people's main event here, Nate Diaz versus Anthony Pettis. So, Nate Diaz. A real after, trash talker. God, I love it. The most unintentionally funny guy in the world, arguably. He's Nate Diaz, three years off. He started off weirdly like he was pressuring early, but he was kind of slow, a little sluggish. He kind of looked a little sloppy. Some of his hands... Some of his shots just looked ugly. Nate Diaz? Sloppy? No. He's usually so... Like, they look <laughs> weird, but I think it's because of the way he has his fists. Like, he almost throws street fighting punches, but yeah. there's... It just looks kind of odd early, but towards the end of that round, when he started closing the distance with Anthony Pettis, getting on top of him, clinching him, that's when he tuned it up. He talked about thinking, oh, it's a three-round fight. I'm used to five-round fights. I could turn it up early. And he kind of warped, blew his water early a little bit, had to get that second win. But boy, in rounds two and three, he put it on Anthony Pettis. We talked about it in the preview where if he can pressure Pettis, he's going to not run through him, but Pettis does not deal well with pressure. It's showed his whole career. He needs space to operate. And Nate said, nope, no, none of that space for you. And he mauled him up close. He arguably finished him in that one sequence. Pettis did a good job just hanging on, but I, that could have been a TKO almost any other time, and they would have, it would have been a fair call. And then on the ground, Nate Diaz dominated Anthony Pettis, who's really really good on the ground Nate Diaz is back he, he dominated his ground game is probably one of the best in that division if not the best besides maybe Damian Maya maybe Ben Askren who's really good at taking down and controlling but I think Nate Diaz's overall ground game with transitions attacks splitting hairs on depending on what you like but that dude's a stud he called out George Masvidal which nobody expected but I loved it that is a fighter's fight that is two dudes that don't give a fudge they're tra- they weren't really trash talk leading up to it. They're just going to spend the whole time like, it's kill or be killed, that's what's up. It's basically going to be the whole lead up for both of them. And they even kind of both talked about it afterwards. Like, yeah, I just kind of fight him because he's dope. Yeah. Like, he's He's been around for a long time and he's awesome. He's been around. So I think you got to make that fight. I mean, why not? The output, the explosions, that's the fight to make. And that's a fight made for YouTube and Twitter. Like, <laughs> I mean, George Masvidal started his career fighting on the Kimbo Slice backyard brawls and Nate Diaz you could tell he fights anywhere anytime he's fighting in a backyard right now if someone tries to take his joint so yes. you know he, that is the ultimate fight I want to see them fight in the parking lot with no referee I want to see them fight in an octagon with a referee I want to see them fight with Dana White in between them I want to see them in a tag team match I just want to see them fight in any sort of realm together at each other however you want to slice it that's a great fight and honestly the winner of that can get a title shot between Colby and Usman whoever wins that that's a that's a great fight and coming off that layoff and beating the seventh-ranked guy who was... He was ranked seven because he beat the like fourth-ranked guy in a pretty explosive knockout, but I think anyone who knew Anthony Pettis trained the last handful of years knew he wasn't 
truly the seventh best fighter of that weight class. And they talked about him, how he's on a roll, when he's on a one-fight roll. He was one, he's, has, he's alternate, he hasn't won two fights in a row since, I think, 2014 or something like that, when he won five in a row for a few years. But either way, that's a great win for Nate Diaz coming off a layoff and taking out a guy with a weird amount of momentum behind him and beating him everywhere. So Masvidal Diaz, make that fight. I don't care where as long as I get to see it. Yeah, as long as it's on TV or on YouTube or anywhere, period, it can get streamed. As, as long <laughs> as I get to see the aftermath, as long as I get to see it in its entirety, that's all I care about. I don't care what well, medium. The, the, with, if recent fights are anything to be assumed for Masvidal, it might be another six-second fight. So, hey, we might see all of it on Twitter. That's what also makes that fight interesting is Masvidal's on a streak of just knocking people stiff. And then Nate Diaz, no one knocks him stiff, really. I mean, and he's durable as they come, and good luck getting off one of those shots when it's constantly just pop, 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 for 25 minutes straight. Like, And he's so lanky, too. It's, it's crazy to see him fight on the inside when he's so lanky. You just, like, I don't get really, how he does it. He has really good control in using his long arms for, as, like, levers for control, kind of like what John Jones does. Like, they in the clinch, they just use those. It's, it's a weird pulley system, how they use their arms. It doesn't make sense, especially because... Nate Diaz is usually so skinny fat, but when he comes in in shape like this, he's weirdly strong, too, even though his arms are... He's country strong. Well, in his case, he's weed strong. He's hood strong, basically. Like he, <laughs> he's, a, he's a dope fighter. This is a great, that was a great job for him. Nate, Di- Nate Diaz, massive all fight to make Pettis. Depends what weight class he wants. I mean, like, there's options from all over the place. He's probably... He's done as a title contender, but we'll see what they do with him. And then the USADA Bowl. Paulo Costa, Yoel Romero... Both of them get dropped in the first round. Who would have thought? Two guys that are built like that and can punch a hole through an elephant. I mean, I'm not... I would, I'm no not way. lining up against either one of them, that's for sure. A lot of people thought Yoel won. Like, every tweet from, like, fighters and everyone else that basically you can look up on YouTube or on the internet, everyone's like, oh, I think Yoel won, Yoel won. The numbers show he landed more shots than Paulo. He had a takedown. They both had a knockdown. I think the reason Paulo got the win is because he was going forward the whole time. He did not take a step back until that third round, really. Romero did his lackadaisical daddy 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 daddy. Oh my god, explosion! Which is fantastic when it works and you get a finish. Anderson Silva made a career out of that where you just kind of lay around for a minute, then explode and kill somebody. Yoel is one of the best at exploding and destroying people. I mean, his knockout highlight reel is stupid, it's terrifying. It's but, one of the best on YouTube, I can tell you. I mean, that flying knee that Masvidal landed, he did that to Chris Whiteman back in, I think, 2016 and didn't land quite as viciously and didn't kill Chris Weidman quite like Ben Askren did or in the amount of time but when you don't land those explosive shots it looks like you're getting pushed backwards the whole time and stats I don't think judges always go off the of stats it's kind of weird with judging they either go exclusively on stats and it's like what are you doing or they ignore stats altogether and just what they see and what you look like is first round is Paulo Costa pushing forward they both got a knockdown Costa had full control I think that was a fair round two was what the fudge happened? I mean, Yoel got a late takedown, if I'm not mistaken, but it's, I don't know. I mean, that, that's a 50-50 round, depending on what your preference is. Round three was all Yoel Romero, because Costa was just kind of, he was kind of taunting him back. Like, they were taunting each other, but Paulo wasn't doing anything. It was, it was weird. But he was pushing forward again, so. I think he this one, like, they just went aggressive guy wins. He looked like he just wanted to fight. Like, he just wanted to get the W, and that was all he cared about. They want, Paulo wanted them to both be stuck in a phone book and just trade hooks, basically. And yeah. Yoel Romero wanted to dance around, be goofy, and then land some weird spinning explosive stuff and kill him. It's, I mean, Yoel didn't lose, and Paulo maybe didn't win. They both kind of just fought to where nobody's a loser. 
I think Yoel doesn't drop in the rankings. Paulo jumps up, so they're like one and two again. Paulo, you give the next title shot to after those Whitaker and Adesanya fight. Yoel could have him fight anybody realistically. I mean, he's not going to drop. He's not going to go up. Just have him fight anyone. He's still not too far from the title. I'd love to see him go up a weight class. That would be fun. Just some of the matchups you could find up there. That could be fun. But I don't know. It was a gr- Usada Bowl did not disappoint other than the fact that they were both standing at the end of it. That was kind of a surprise. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's definitely one of those fights that I think, looking back on it, you if it ends in a draw, like a split decision draw, you know, that, that's okay. I think right. if it's a draw, that's what a lot of people would have been like, well, okay, like, I don't know. It was, I thought it was just a good fight all around. Like, yeah. I, you can't really hate Paulo for winning, but at the same time, I see what they're talking about with Romero winning. Like, it's just a weird, the fight game's weird. It's a, it's interesting. I, I sometimes wish if there was no decisive winner after round three, they'd have a sudden death round. Everyone <laughs> wins this round wins. First one to fall to the ground wins. Well, let's not get that CTE serious now. I just mean, like, hey. we'll have one more round of fighting. If you take him down and lay on him the whole time, you win the fight. I, I don't know. Just Look, if we had Antonio Brown's opinion in this, he'd be all for it, obviously. As long as he got to wear his helmet, that's all that matters. <laughs> that's true. All right, so any other thoughts on that fight or upcoming fights coming up? Because that does kind of wrap up the, the main card. And, you know, we did see some really awesome fights last night. It was a doozy. It Pretty much lived up to expectations, especially those top three fights. I think they were, the only thing that's missing is Costa or Romero getting knocked out. That's the only thing we needed, really. But it was great. I can't wait to see some of the fights to be made after this. So the fight game's getting fun these days. And then we got some really good fights coming up in the next handful of weeks. You know, and we, we didn't mention our, our, our favorite guy we talk, we talk about every, every fight time. Colby Covington. Did show up at the fights. Yeah, and of course, for some reason, every time he's somewhere, whether this time out... From what it sounded like in the post-fight press conference from Dana White, he was saying, like, I guess everyone was running up and trying to talk trash with him. So maybe he didn't start this one, but it, just his beer presence started it. So he basically said, like, I have to go get my kindergartners under control, which I thought was probably the perfect reference consider. I love real trash talkers, but I, I'm not the biggest Colby Covington fan, but I love a guy who can talk some trash. It's, it's cringy, and it makes me want to hit my head against the wall, but you can't fault this fight game. If somehow the stars line up and him and Nate Diaz fight... God, that output would be stupid. We'd see a thousand thrown, thrown strikes each. Nate would probably eliminate the wrestling a little bit with his jiu-jitsu, and if they went to the ground, I think it'd just end up getting back to the feet because Colby's good on the ground at wrestling control. Nate's good at submissions, transitions, and sweeps. That could be fun, but God, on the feet, it's just going to be pop, 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 for literally 15 or 25 consecutive minutes, and God, it would be great to see. Oh, yeah. I want be... that to somehow happen. The trash talk leading up to it would be terrible from both sides, honestly. Like, I feel like it would revolve around the whole Make America Great, great Again hat and the Trump side and then Diaz being like, nah, man, that's not chill. Like, you know, that type of trash talk. I feel like Nate would just be like, what the F is this motherfucker doing? And just, <laughs> yeah. like, I just think he would just kind of... I just want that fight to happen. I don't care how, like... Diaz beat Masvidal, Covington beat Usman, maybe make them fight. That would be glorious. Like, they both lose, make them fight. Somehow make them fight. I don't know how. I just want to see the output, honestly. Yeah, that would be great. I, I think that would just be a fun fight to watch. Um, but, so, other than that, ladies and gentlemen, it's finally here. We are finally in the week of football. We finally have meaningful football happening at the end of this week. So... In case you didn't know this, yeah, everybody, ESPN has been talking about Auburn, Oregon. As an Auburn fan, I'm super excited about that. But right now, I don't care. That is two weeks away. We have Florida versus Miami of Florida. So the U versus the Gators on, on the 24th. 
the U, in case you didn't know, had guy from QB1, Behind the Lights, TV show, Tate Martell, former top-ranked recruit, tra- uh, transferred from Ohio State, didn't get chosen as a starting quarterback. Got beat out, which was kind of shocking. I know a lot of people are like, well, how do you do that? No way. But they don't see what goes on behind the scenes. Like, yeah. you just don't really see it. Like, we don't see what he's like in practice, honestly. Like, No, and if, if there's a team that probably doesn't need the drama that Tate Martell brings, it is probably the U. They don't need any extra drama. They got enough just from being called the U on Fortnite. Yeah. <laughs> so you got them versus Dan Mullins. Top 25 Gators. That we talked about them as possibly being a sleeper team in the yeah. SEC. Like they could, even if they don't necessarily get to the Final Four, they can ruin a few other teams' chances. Absolutely, this is going to be a fun one to watch to get that season started off. Uh, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what this is a week earlier than normal, so that gives each team an extra bye week. It's kind of the byproduct of this, so we'll see we'll see what this does for both teams to start off the season, and then what it means long term because. If you're in the SEC, if you're Florida, you win this game and you get an extra bye week in your season. That's big. That's, that's big. huge because that's an extra prep time for somebody. Now, yeah. hopefully it's somebody meaningful and not one of these marshmallow teams they, they add in here. You know, the UT Chattanoogas, those type of teams. Like, we're not talking those teams. We're talking, like, hopefully it's like a South Carolina or a Georgia, you know, weekend coming up. So, we'll see what it means for them. But for, for Miami, I mean... You want to get off to the right foot. You, you're in the ACC. You got to try to compete with Clemson. Clemson like, is Clemson is basically daddy when it comes to college football right now, and you got to compete with them. So you better and you can't start off. If you beat Florida, that establishes yourself as hey, we're coming for you, Clemson. Yeah, and Florida State's still there. I mean, we all talk about Florida State, but and how they've fallen off. I don't think I don't expect much from them this season, but I will say they can. They're just like Florida. Even if they're not in it, they can ruin some ch- chances at a. At a playoff, so it'll be a fun one to start us off with. Following that, we got Hawaii versus Arizona. Uh, Not a whole lot of big time yeah. championship aspirations here, bowl game aspirations, but it's the first week of football. You never know. I mean, Hawaii with their offense is always fun to watch. That, and, that air raid is awesome. And in Arizona, they're a weird team. Like they tend to not stick out a lot like they don't really win the Pac-12 very often they're not really always in competition for it but they always have really good players come out I mean like Gronkowski you had Nick Foles like well look out there might be some NFL talent to look out for in there too so that could be an interesting Arizona Arizona's been one of those teams lately where like usually midway through the season they're somehow at the top of the their Pac-12 division and you're just like wait Arizona what that doesn't make any sense. And then they do Arizona things, and they just fall apart. And then they play the Arizona State game, and then it super falls apart for them. And it never goes well at the end of the season. So, But it'll be a fun one to watch. It, at the very least, it is real, meaningful football again. And all is right in the world. Fall is here, everybody. Fall <laughs> is here. Yeah. I can't wait. This is the best time of the year to be a sports fan with football coming up, basketball coming up, baseball hitting the good part of the season with the playoffs coming up October. Yeah, you got the playoff push in the majors. I mean, be, this will be fun, and we'll, we'll actually get more into the playoff push um, for MLB here later on, um, closer to October. We will break down kind of the what you know close race is, who our predictions are, um, and you'll see that some of that soon. And next week we will be kind of previewing the Auburn-Oregon games. That is the big one on the docket for opening, quote-unquote, opening weekend of football. So even though we are getting it this week, we know next week is the real... It's like the opening Sunday in football as opposed to the opening game on Thursdays. Then 
Yeah, nobody, next week is like opening Sunday, quote unquote. Nobody but the teams involved in the game on Thursday really care about it. Um, but yeah, in this case, I just I'm excited for football to be back. And for the first time in a while, I feel like this first early game is actually a good game. Like that's a doozy on paper. And then yeah. the rivalry, there's college football rivalries are a big thing. The U and Florida is a rivalry that basically will withstand time no matter what. Both teams suck, it's great. Both teams are good, it's great. One's good, one's bad, it's great. Like, and it's, and Dan Mullen is as a coach, he plays he he coaches his players really well for rivalry games to to respect a rivalry too. So this is one that's, you know, has been overlooked in the past year, but it is still really good. I can't wait for it. It's going to be a good one. Anything yeah. else you want to end off with? or No, that does it. Uh, stay tuned for next week's top five running backs, top five safeties. Gee, and I hope our... these lists aren't the exact same, too. Yeah, I know. We're, we're, we'll work on that, maybe. But then again, maybe players shouldn't be so good. Maybe it shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't all just have like three players that stick out from everybody else. Maybe everyone should just be on the same level, 99 overall playing field. Exactly. That would be perfect, right? And all of them join my team, too. Yeah, everybody, yeah. Join the Cowboys or the Colts. We'll be okay with that. But that wraps it up for this week. Any last words? Follow us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Follow us on, follow us everywhere. Our YouTube channel. We're going to keep this coming. If you ever want to be on the podcast, shoot us a message on any of our social media platforms. We'd love to have more guests to talk sports. Yep. High Low Sports Podcast. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Hit us up. Let us know. That does it for this week. See you guys next week. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years' experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.